So any advice on maintaining a balance emotional health during this time? What I want to do here is give a little mini lesson on emotional health and then give you some actual good communication techniques and management skills to help you and others get through this. So you're listening to the voice of Dr. Hirsch Knapp, who has a clinical specialty in emergency and trauma psychology in medical, surgical, ICU, ER, and other healthcare related units. He has a Bachelor's of Science in Psychology from California State University, Northridge, a Master's of Science in Social Work from the University of Texas, Austin, and a PhD in Social Welfare from UCLA. At the end of this episode, you will take away practical and easy tips to become your own therapist during this stressful time and how to handle your emotions about the coronavirus pandemic. So stay tuned. Dr. Nat was a guest on our previous episode on how to read statistics without math. So definitely check out that episode if you want to beef up your statistics skills during the stay-at-home guideline. So listen on. Hello, friends. This is the What is Public Health podcast with your host, Dr. Ki Chan. What is public health? To me, public health is the invisible force that keeps you healthy every day, and I bet you didn't even know it. Hello, Dr. Knapp. How are you doing right now? Oh, keeping pretty good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing all right. I mean, right now we're all experiencing the coronavirus pandemic. You know, two weeks ago, the president said, all right, it's just going to be two weeks quarantine. And I was just thinking, well, it's just be like a two-week vacation then. Stay inside. I could do my reading, catch up on work. But now, just most recently, our president said that it's going to be extended to the end of April. And if this is going to be extended an extra month, would it be extended after April? There's just so many mixed feelings right now, like that I'm experiencing right now. And Dr. Knapp, how are you feeling? You know, it's it's a day-to-day thing, and there's a lot of uncertainty now. And uh, at this point, I don't know that any of us, uh, scientists or politicians, are qualified enough to definitively circle a date on the calendar and say, and that's the date. Uh, We have to watch and wait and see. And I hope that the things that we're going to talk about today are going to help people gain some skills and some, uh, some defenses for coping well with the situation. Yes, Dr. Knapp, and I'm so grateful for your time with us today. Hey, listeners out there, Dr. Knapp has a background in clinical and trauma psychology, and he would be sharing with us effective quarantine coping skills during this coronavirus pandemic. He's going to go over how to manage our time, improve our emotional health, and tips on schooling. Um, So I'd like to first start with maybe tips on managing our time, especially with the media. You know, right now, I feel like the news is on 24-7 even on your app and on the radio. And it's always about the coronavirus pandemic. And as much as I am very interested in knowing the updates and the news, but by seeing the increasing numbers of cases identified and numbers of deaths, it it does stress me out a little bit. But at the same time, I want to know. So what are some tips that you can share with us that we want to be informed but we don't, be, we don't want to be so stressed out with the data that it paralyzes us. Right. So my first tip on this is, yes, we need to stay connected with what the big news is. But we don't need to overdose on media. TV, radio, websites can make the news pretty compelling. And I know it's the only real story going on these days. We can't pretend to ignore it, nor should we. But I think we need to make some good selections Uh, I think this is a time to 
uh, set aside political perspectives and focus on scientific qualified information. This is where we're going to hopefully heed the word that's coming from uh, credible sources, doctors who are familiar with these sorts of things, and um, certainly not uh, advocating anyone to give up their political orientation. But this is a time for science more than politics. And uh, both will be playing a role in this. But find some credible media sources and periodically get the best information and protocol for keeping yourself healthy. But there's no need to overdose on media. It's an important story, but it doesn't really change from hour to hour or minute to minute. Maybe a story or two at the beginning of the day, maybe one at the end of the day, or maybe once a day is enough to keep up on what the best advice is. Uh, the rest is just going to overstress you. There's not that much that you need to know changing over the course of any given day. And to just keep flooding yourself with more dark news is is not helpful for you or anyone else. Oh, thank you for that. I mean, I think you're giving us permission that it's okay to not be not be glued to the TV and that it's actually good for our health. You mentioned about um, going to um, seeking good resources. Uh, would you share with us like, what are some of your favorite outlets for getting political and scientific information? Uh, I'm a big NPR fan. Uh, they seem to get some strong people uh, who are exceptionally knowledgeable. And without the visual aspect, radio really seems to give the kind of story that I'm looking for. Uh, it doesn't need to have great visuals to become a story. But, you know, bottom line is everybody needs to make their own media decisions on what they think is a good place. I'd simply say this is a good time to heed the word of scientists and they're going to give you your best advice on how to keep yourself well, how to keep yourself safe, and what the outlook is really looking like. And this is one of the reasons why I decided to launch this series on my podcast on having people share their stories and the impact of public health and the coronavirus pandemic is that, you know, collectively we hear stories of people working in the field and also stories of people who are impacted by the pandemic, like we can feel that we're more connected and that we're not alone. And again, I, like you said, that sometimes the TV can dramatize with images and just the tone of the anchor. As you were saying, like NPR and some of these outlets, they provide much more neutral, objective voice. And so you're just getting the factual information and that you can use that information to decide for you what to do. Yeah, so oh, hopefully so. Yes, hopefully so. Yes. Mm -hmm. In addition to like watching the news and getting maybe worked up, many of us is what are some tips that you can share with us that if we don't spend all that time watching the news, uh, what can we do to fill up that space? Well, I recommend that you make a schedule, not just treat the day as a big undefined block of space that's just going to be there until it gets dark again. Uh, a schedule gives our days form and fulfillment and doesn't just keep us eating and watching TV all day. So there can be work things on your schedule and don't be afraid to put real times on your schedule. Uh, this is a time to get projects done either for work or household projects. Uh, there's also leisure 
And don't forget to put leisure things on your schedules. We have, like never before, access to incredible media, streaming media. Everyone has DVD collections and CDs and MP3s. We have movies and TV shows. There's also online exercises and games. Uh, I'd also say stay in touch with friends, however you like to do that, whether it's phone calls or texts. Uh, I'd say phone calls are probably what people need more than anything because it just carries the person-to-person contact better than a cold text. And as much as you think you need the contact, other people need that contact too, is to stay connected because we can't visit. Uh, We shouldn't be visiting. And uh, people need to know that you're still out there and you still care. And this could be work acquaintances. It could be friends, family. Another good thing to put on your schedule is to consider some past forgotten pleasures. You know, at some point, we sometimes forget things that used to give us great joy. Sometimes we'll take a job that eats a lot of our hours or we'll become involved in a new relationship and we'll start doing things with the other person and not tending to the things that used to give us a lot of pleasure. Uh, This could be anything from exercise, games, uh, I had a friend who uh, moved away. We used to play a lot of cribbage together. And after she moved away, that was it for cribbage. But uh, it, it's a wonderful old card game. And it's just so much fun for me. And uh, it occurred to me, I need to find another cribbage partner, somebody else who plays. And I discovered there's people who play online. So I could be playing with a stranger. Uh, some people enjoy baking or gardening. These are things that we need to just look to our past and see what were the things that gave us a lot of pleasure before, because it can't just be all work. And there's a lot of things you can do to keep yourself occupied and happy and not just waiting for it to get dark again. Oh, I like this idea that we can use that space, that extra space and time instead of watching all that news is limit your time from watching news and get back to your hobbies or connecting with friends or even trying new things like you were mentioned, like all these maybe online games or trying a new course or even maybe been watching for a little bit, but putting a limit for that. Well, I have friends who are binge watching all kinds of shows that have just been recommended. So, uh, you know, where have we ever had so much media available? And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be news all the time. I'm not saying dismiss yourself from the news, but there's things to do beyond the news. And it's important to keep finding those to keep our spirits up. That's the, These are very helpful tips to help manage our time. I'm sometimes having a hard time getting a good night's sleep because there's just almost too much, too many things to do. And for other people, because there's 24 access to news, maybe they're spending their time, you know, seeing the numbers of cases and deaths increase every day. So, you know, as they're going to sleep, you know, that's the last thing that they saw, you know, I can imagine that might disrupt their sleeping pattern. So any tips on getting a good night's sleep? If you're stressing about not sleeping, that's just going to add to the problem. It's just more adrenaline, and that's going to corrupt your sleep even further. And, of course, we know that getting poor sleep can lead to forgetfulness. You can't focus. There's irritability and angry outbursts and drowsiness and inattentiveness, all those things that we don't want. So good sleep is important. It's a big predictor of the quality of the next day that you're going to have in terms of energy and thought process and mood. So a few tips 
to help you find some better sleep. And by the way, if you're not getting eight hours, six hours is better than zero. You know, don't panic if you wake up early or you're having trouble dozing off at night. Just get the sleep that you can. But here's a few tips that can help you get that sleep. So first off, if you have some unstructured time, a lot of people use this as an excuse to do a lot of day sleeping and napping. Uh, if you're dozing during the day, you're not going to be much sleepy at nighttime. So the main thing is to keep yourself active during the day, uh, whether it's reading or a lot of people are working at home. So keep yourself on a regular sleep and work schedule. Also, before you go to bed, do what you can to avoid the computer or stressful media or foods and fluids about an hour before bedtime. Uh, the stress is not good for you, for your sleep. Uh, being on the computer puts your mind in a very active sort of way. Also watching stressful media, whether it's a chase scene or the news is not going to be helpful for your sleep. And if you're eating foods and taking in fluids before bed, you're activating your digestive system and that's going to stay up while you're busy trying to sleep. So that's going to be working against you. Also, with this unstructured time, it's important to keep a consistent bedtime and wake up time. Uh, the body really needs that regular, predictable rhythm to get good sleep. So going to bed at about the same time each night, plus or minus maybe a half hour and waking up on time instead of sleeping late every day, don't be afraid to use an alarm clock. Uh, actually, an alarm clock could help you get better sleep the next night uh, if you're not sleeping deep into the, the next day. Uh, also, of of course, you want to limit your caffeine and alcohol intake. Let me say that again. You want to limit your caffeine and alcohol intake to something reasonable and get some exercise, even if it's doing a few push-ups or jogging in place in your living room. If you can't go out for a walk, that's always a good thing. And it may sound trivial, but it's important to get your eyes some sunlight every day during the day hours. And this helps your brain to navigate the hours of the day and night. This is your circadian rhythms that informs your body. When is it time to be awake? Oh, daytime, sunlight hours. And when is it time to be sleepy? Okay, that's the dark nighttime hours. So your, your brain gets a lot of cues from that, that tells your body when it's time to ramp up and when it's time to rest. Oh, and that's so important to have is getting good night's sleep. And those tips are going to be very helpful. So right now, there's a lot of medical and health information on getting good exercise, um, foods to boost our immune system, because basically, that's your own individual way to fight the coronavirus is that your immune system, you know, is functioning properly, eating healthy during this pandemic, so you don't gain weight, since <laughs> you're snacking so much. But how do we address like these invisible forces of our health, like which I'm referring to as our emotional health? Because we don't really see that. We don't really see this, how the stress is impacting our heart, our body, our mind. And it is a stressful time for all of us. And everyone deals with it differently. Like on some cases, you know, many people are suppressing their fears and stress so they can maintain like a strong front like in front of their organization especially if they have a leadership position you know the sign of weakness may impact their organization like people may leave or people may get really scared 
and you know maybe their investors will leave and maybe some people are putting a strong front in front of their family um, so they don't scare their children even though they are kind of nervous themselves and also in the community maybe community leaders are also nervous too but maybe they're leading a religious organization and they can't express that type of stress or fear so bottling up stress isn't good either, but overexpressing it isn't good either by snacking or overindulging in different activities such as alcohol or engaging in risky behavior. So any advice on maintaining a balanced emotional health during this time? What I want to do here is give a little mini lesson on emotional health and then give you some actual good communication techniques and management skills to help you and others get through this. So the first and most important lesson I can give in emotional health is to understand loss. Loss equals hurt. Every time you lose something, it hurts. You lose a little, you hurt a little. You lose a lot, you hurt a lot. So this is a lot of what mental health is about. So for instance, financially, if you lose a penny, if you even notice, it hurts a little. But if you lose $1,000, that hurts a lot. It also works with people. So if there's an acquaintance that you run across once in a while in the neighborhood and you stop seeing them, that hurts a little. But if you lose a loved one or a close friend, it hurts a lot. So the better we understand our losses, the better we understand our hurt. Now, loss takes place over three points on the timeline. Loss in the past, start with the past. Loss in the past is referred to as guilt or regret. And this is saying things like, I wish I would have done this, or I wish I would have enrolled in that program, or I wish I hadn't said that. So that's about hurt in the past. In the present, it's just called hurt. When you currently lose a person or money or an item, it, it hurts. Now, that's kind of where we are right now. But another big part of where we are is the future. The future is an anticipated hurt or loss, and this comes out as anxiety and worry. And this is when I can't tell you what's going to happen next. And things may be getting better, and things might be getting worse, and I can't tell you what's going to happen. And this is where we are right now. We have guesses, we have calculated models, we have projections, but once again, nobody can circle the date on the calendar and nobody can guarantee anything for sure. This is the anxiety that people are feeling. This is how it works. So the best I can give you is I can't repair this for you, but I can show you how to cope with this. And so the best thing you could do, whether you're seeing a psychiatrist, a therapist, or a best friend, here's where you're going to turn into a therapist yourself. Talk about your concerns and anxieties with others. Two of the brightest minds I've ever encountered in the literature on mental health, uh, both coincidentally named Rogers, is we have an incredible quote from Dr. Carl Rogers, who wrote, what psychologically troubled people most need is not to be analyzed, judged, or advised, but simply to be heard. That is to be truly understood and respected by another human being. And then I have this other wonderful quote, when we can talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming, less upsetting, 
and less scaring. And that's Mr. Rogers. That's Fred Rogers. So I think it's amazing that these two very focused, helpful quotes both come from Rogers. And I'll, I'll never forget these. Uh, so the techniques that I'm going to give you are ways of enhancing your communication with others, helping yourself and helping others. And the big question is, how long should I talk about it? And the answer is, until you don't need to talk about it anymore for now, which means you may discuss this tomorrow again or another day or down the road, and you'll know when you're done talking. So I want to give you a handful of skills that will make you a better therapist. Everyone, I think, has some therapy skills in them, but let me give you a handful of skills that could be really, really useful. Uh, I also want to quote, from uh, one of my de facto mentors through the literature is Dr. David Viscott, brilliant psychiatrist. His writings are just sensational and practical. And he said, you know what a therapist does? You try to understand. You don't analyze. You hold off on the diagnosis. You don't solve anything. Just listen and try to understand. And if you don't understand, just ask some questions. And I found that that really propagates the therapeutic process. So the first skill, I wanna give four skills. And the first skill is something that everybody does already, is listen. Listen, don't try to fix anything, don't try to alter anything. If there's something you don't understand or there's a leap from, a to C, ask about that. Just try to understand what's going on with the other person. This is a great skill for helping others. An extension of listening is the second skill, which is furthering, which means digging a little bit deeper into something that you heard while you were listening along. So if someone says something like, I miss my friends at work, laundry has become impossible, and I miss going out to breakfast with my friends on the weekends, you can revisit each one of those and maybe start in the middle. Maybe say, well, how has laundry become impossible? Well, I don't like to just take it to the laundry room. I go down the street and we have so much fun. I meet with my friends at the laundry and we just spend time together and share stories. So there's more layers of story there. So be curious. And furthering just means I want to know more about that thing that you already said. Another really good skill, the third skill, is normalizing. Meaning if somebody tells you, I miss my friends, I miss going to the beach, I miss going to breakfast, uh, you don't try to correct that or fix that. You say, yeah, it's, it's normal to want to go out. And right now, we can't really do that. It's, it's not the best idea for our health to go out. It makes sense that you missed that. So you make what they're saying normal. One of the things that I used to tell patients in hospitals is sometimes I'd be referred to a patient that was just lonely and depressed. And nobody wants to be in the hospital. That's the big thing. And I would listen to them and just normalize that is I'd let them know that I know you want to go home. That's a universal wish of everyone in the hospital. Everyone wants to go home. 
even some of the patients, you know, and then we'd have a little laugh together. And, you know, I just tell them this is temporary. And this is a message that we need to take home today. This is temporary. It will come to an end and you'll get your regular life back. You'll be able to go out and see people and have meals out and enjoy the outdoors and go and do your regular things again. But to normalize things. The fourth skill I want to teach is one that I'm sure a lot of people are doing already is empathy. Now, this is very different from sympathy. Sympathy just means, oh, you feel so bad. That's so sad. It just amplifies how bad people feel. But empathy pays heed to the notion that every message has two tracks to it. It's almost like it's stereo. Like in the left channel are the facts. I'm stuck at home. In the right channel are the feelings. And even if they don't say, I feel bad that I'm stuck at home, the way they say it, I'm stuck at home, and they may not attach a feeling to it, your opportunity is to say, I get that you're stuck at home. You sound pretty unhappy about that. Well, I am. And then the feelings will flow out. So you're not only acknowledging the words that they said, but the underlying emotions that go with that. So those are some techniques that you can use to help others, but it's also important equally to help yourself is talk to other people in your life who are level-headed. Now, we all have people who are a little bit flighty or fanciful, and there's other people who just seem to keep their cool through everything. Make sure you're keeping in touch with those folks too. And tell your story, include the facts, the events, and the feelings, and don't edit. We all have good, good people in our life. Sometimes it's a great family member or that great friend that you can tell anything to and you won't ruffle their feathers. You need someone that you can talk to without editing. Just get someone tell your story, let it all out. Remember that this is temporary and be patient. Please be patient. Keep yourself well. Keep connected with others. As good as it is for you, it's very good for them. When you get someone's phone to ring, you're actually doing them a big favor because they need the contact too. Also, keep in mind, once again, this is temporary and things will resume. Uh, People are resilient. We've been recovering from challenges for eons. The human race has gotten through everything so far. And for some, there'll be bigger challenges than others. Some will be returning to work. Others may be reclassified to work from home now. Others will be looking for work. But we need to continue our connections and coping techniques even after the quarantines are lifted. There's still going to be a lot to process. But I'm confident we'll get there. We need to just take care of each other all the way through. Thank you so much, Dr. Neff, for those tips, especially the four steps. First is to listen and not to place any judgment or try to fix things. Because I think sometimes we have a tendency that when we hear a problem, we want to help them by giving them a solution. But right now, we really don't know what the solution is to the coronavirus pandemic or what's going to happen in a month. And I think right now, just giving people the space and time, like you said, is just listen. And the furthering which is an opportunity just to kind of find, find nuggets of opportunity for you to dive in and to listen more. So I think that's really great. And normalizing, which is the third step, um, which you just shared, is that helping people see that it's normal to feel the way you do. Because sometimes right now, I'm feeling like, should I be feeling this way? 
And then when you say the word should, then it adds like a sense of guilt of, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this. But maybe talking with someone and if you hear someone say that, like, oh, I shouldn't feel this way, maybe you could help them by normalizing that feeling, saying, oh, no, other people are feeling that. And then empathy. And I like the way of thinking about it like a stereo. Like there's the left speaker and the right speaker, which is there's a factual part and there's the feeling part of any type of statement. So it's helping us be more mindful during our conversations with people. So I really appreciate those four tips. How will we learn to cope with these images or these questions in our head of a maybe in the future and maybe maybe everyone will be okay? but I can't help feeling this type of stress. So how do we deal with that? Like, can we start hugging people again? And, and hopefully we can, but how do we reduce that fear? And that's something that someone, asked, someone actually asked me about, you know, can we start interacting with people? And my response is, I really hope deep down that this coronavirus pandemic doesn't change the social behaviors that makes us human. Because wouldn't that be sad? Like we don't connect with people. You know, we don't go out anymore. I mean, that would be sad. <laughs> it, 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 it would be sad, and I, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think each person is going to adapt to this in their own way, in the right frame of time, hopefully in the right frame of time. Can we go back to the way we were? This is a question about the future. I don't have those kinds of answers. Uh, but people get through all kinds of traumas and all kinds of adversity and come out the other end, and they're a little bit wiser and they know things that maybe they never even wanted to know before. But do they get on with life? Absolutely. Is life exactly the same shape that it used to be? Maybe not right away. And maybe there's some adaptations. But people are resilient. And I can't think that people are going to not recover and have normal, satisfying socialization and lifetime experiences after this. Thank you for that optimism and hopefulness. I think we all need that. Any advice on schooling and to hopefully help reduce that level of stress? Sure. So I I share some of the same experience that you do. Um, I, too, teach part-time at university. I've done that for years, and I've done years of online education and also classroom education. And the thing that I pointed out to my students at the university is uh, when the notice came out, I actually read my email just before a class started. They said, you need to read your email real quick. And it announced that the school was closing and going online. And I let the class know, I've done this for years. We're going to get through this. Um, You know, everyone just keep safe and stay calm. We're going to get through this. Uh, The best I can tell you is that in terms of online education, 20 years ago, just back in 2000, there was kind of no online education. Most of us were still on dial-up. Smartphones were something that were just starting to emerge. Only a handful of people had them. And if this would have happened 20 years ago, and I briefed my class on this, what you'd be stuck with is an incomplete or a lot of incompletes. And what I briefed them on is an incomplete is not a pleasure. It is not a get out of second half of class free card. It basically means you owe the rest of the class. So if you took your incomplete at week 10, uh, you have to do the rest of the semester. 
So and the school I'm at is on semester, meaning you'd need to complete all of the work for the class. You'd need to re-enroll to another instructor or the same instructor another semester and pick up weeks 11 through 15 and sit for the final and do whatever assignments were due there. With online, it's not a pleasure for everyone and it's not what everyone bargained for, but it's either that or a pile of incompletes, which really can mess up your uh, your academic schedule. So, you know, online education has existed for some time. It's right for some. It's not as optimal for others. But, uh, you know, it's, it's like rolling on a spare tire. It's not what you want to do, but it'll get you to the end of the road where you can get things all fixed up. And at some point, classrooms will open up again. And in the meantime, people will be able to accomplish their workload. Now, this may be a very different experience for K through 12. And the best I can say is, you know, at least the student isn't in it alone. Uh, there's parents, there could be study groups. Uh, some instructors are going online. Uh, I have a friend who teaches elementary school. She's taken to doing online coaching for students, meets with them daily, gives them assignments, speaks to the parents, gives them tips and guidance. And of course, there's plenty of email and websites to go with. So we're expecting things to go back to regular. And as for the rest, maybe when this is over, maybe some people will discover they are good with online and maybe they'll be making some other decisions. Maybe they'll be taking more online courses than traditional classroom courses. Uh, the other thing that I've done for my students is normally I hold my office hours in the classroom where students can come and get uh, personal questions answered or uh, discuss issues with their profession or other educational issues uh, an hour before class. Well, when I go online teaching, all the student has to do is email me and I have 20 hours of online office hours open for consultation, support, questions. We can do it on a computer or telephone. I, I, your instructors want you to succeed. And I'm sure a lot of people are being flexible in doing everything we can to help students accomplish their grades and get through these courses. Yeah, I agree that as instructors, we want to help our students and and to accommodate given that this coronavirus pandemic kind of threw us a curveball, right? Like we didn't know this is going to happen. And so there's a lot of flexibilities in, in my courses, like if students want an extension or need extra resources because now they're, they don't see you in class, so they can't ask you questions immediately um, is to have maybe more open office hours that they can reach out to you. Yeah, right. So and and, and I've heard that students sometimes feel intimidated about office hours. And I tell my students, that's my favorite part of the day is working one-on-one -on -one and answering your questions. And I make it clear that, you know, even if you don't have the words for your question, that means you really need to come to office hours and we really need to talk and get through this. And uh, I'm opening my classes asking students how they're doing. And I mean, beyond academics, how they're doing as people through all of this, because that's all we all are. We have that in common. We're all people we're all facing the same thing together and we have a lot of the same concerns. We need to take care of each other. Yeah, those are very helpful suggestions for our online education at the university level. And, yeah. you know, just for the university students, it's wonderful that we have online access to 
university libraries where they can do their research and uh, download full articles from all the journals and keep on working. But uh, it's uh, I, I really couldn't speak much to what's going on with uh, K through 12. There's so much socialization. You're seeing the same people day in and day out, five days a week. And there's some great relationships that get built. Uh, so again, going beyond the academics, same as I said before, keep in touch with these people one-on-one or group chats or phone calls, anything. Just please keep in touch with people. Don't let yourself uh, fall and do this alone. Uh, we, we need to take good care of ourselves and we need to take good care of each other. We want you to stay healthy. I think I'm speaking on behalf of Dr. Chan and, and certainly myself. We want you to stay healthy through this. You don't want to be sick and keeping yourself well and on top of things, both physically and emotionally, is good for you. It's good for others. It keeps you well. And it lets you reach out and connect and help others stay well. And as a final note, I'd say a really good thing that is good to do on a daily basis, whether you're religious or not, is find things and people that you're grateful for. Because life isn't just any one experience. No matter what's spewing on the TV, uh, we need to remember that we still have a lot. We have each other. We have wonderful things in our lives. And the days are worth living for. And we will get to the other end of this. Yes. And we're all in this together, Dr. Nath. We are. We are. Thank you so much for these very helpful tips on coping through this coronavirus pandemic. You gave such helpful tips about time management, how to improve our emotional health, and giving us the space and time to help others and help ourselves is okay. And it actually will help our own our emotional health by helping ourselves. We're helping others. And also, thank you for sharing your insight on adjusting to online education of this new this new platform for students who may not be used to it, but you know if this is the way how it's going to be for the next couple of months is to uh, embrace it, and that there are a lot of pluses on um, being online that you can have more time to work on this information, work on the material, and then work with your faculty to explore extensions, get access to additional resources um, to help you learn. Because as instructors, we all want you to succeed. So thank you so much for these tips, Dr. Nam. We really appreciate it. There are so many new ideas for us to explore. So what's the best way for listeners to reach out to you and to learn more about these techniques? Uh, If you like the four techniques for becoming a better therapist, a good paraprofessional therapist, uh, if you like that, I can recommend a textbook I wrote called Therapeutic Communication, Developing Professional Skills. And you can get that anywhere online where you get books. Uh, it's, it's a short textbook that gives demonstrations and has role plays to help you master some of these skills. And it can really help you in your so it, and it could really help you in your communication with others. Uh, a lot of people have some really good gifts and uh, could be useful to enhance those knowing what are the nuts and bolts that therapists use to communicate best with their people. I'll post a website on where to find more information about this textbook. Um, it's available on Amazon. And, but if you want to get a description of the textbook, you can also go to the publisher, Sage, um, who has published several textbooks of Dr. Nab. Thank you. As we're coming to the close of our interview with Dr. Nab, what is one golden nugget of advice you can share with our audience? 
you know, in any dark time, it's it's important to realize that our lives have, are made up of more than one thing. Uh, no matter how dominant it is in the media, and no matter how big it is in our minds and our thoughts and our hearts, but do what you can to recognize that we have other things in our lives. Do what you can to find people and things in your life that you're grateful for, things, people that give you pleasure, uh, because there's more than one color on our palette. It's not all dark. And if you can find and identify and connect with those things, it lightens the load in a meaningful way. And please be well. Oh, thank you so much for that message, Dr. Knapp. And everyone out there, me. yeah, everyone out there listening there, we all wish you well and healthy. If you got questions about any of the episodes, feel free to reach out to me directly. And while you're there at it, please subscribe to the podcast and share the episode that you felt connected with so we could be a part of this collective invisible force called public health. Thanks.